Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. It's so good to be in church. Uh, I'm doing a little series um, on, uh, on Isaiah 40. And uh, I just want to read this to you. We did it last week, uh, but I just want to read this uh, to you right now if you follow me. Uh, here we go. Isaiah 41 and 2. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall, and hill shall be brought down, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May the Lord bless His word. Last week we saw that the mission of the church is to bring comfort, to bring healing uh, into people's lives. People's lives have been devastated by sin in their body, in their relationships, and things that they do in a spirit. And Isaiah here comes with a beautiful word, comfort, comfort my people. Now just a quick uh, review for those who were not here uh, last week, or for those of you who were sleeping uh, last week, um, is that Isaiah is, an, Isaiah is an amazing, I don't know, Isaiah is an amazing book, and it's basically a microcosm of the Bible. It's got 66 books. Uh, chapter, sorry, in the same way that the Bible has 66 books. The first, the first 39 uh, 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 t- has 39 chapters in it, the first part of Isaiah. And also, you see, the Old Testament has got 39 books. Uh, the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, has got 27 books. And we see here in Isaiah, it's also got 27 chapters. And right here at Isaiah 40, it changes. It changes from kind of woe and judgment, Old Testament. It suddenly you, you find New Testament lingo. New Testament about comfort, about grace, about beautiful things uh, in God. I love this beautiful word, comfort. It's, it's, a, it's a word that is come fort. It means with strength. It means to strengthen. Fortis means strength. And in the Hebrew, it's natshamu, sorry, natshamu. And it means to cause, to breathe again. Isn't it beautiful? Comfort is to help people to cause to breathe again. It implies to make strong, to invigorate. And so we have been called to be breathers of life, to breathe life into people. The actual Ruach HaKodesh, the Ruach Spirit of God, that we as people, as Christians, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, can breathe the Spirit like Jesus did into people's lives and call them and, and, and cause them to breathe again. John 10.10, 10, Jesus came to bring fullness of life, to bring the life of God. Every word that Jesus spoke was life. It was beautiful. Isn't it powerful? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. It is so beautiful that when God comforts you, when God comforts us, 
when He heals us, when He restores us, that beautiful comfort, you have a testimony. And this testimony then we can share with other people and we can tell people of the comfort that we have received. It prepares the way of the Lord in our lives to see His glory, His fullness of life come into our lives. But also it helps us that through our lives, we can prepare the way of the Lord in other people's lives because we can share our comfort. We can share what comforted us, what changed our hearts, what strengthened our lives. Amen? And they will open up. It will melt their hearts and it would help them to cause them to breathe again. Now, verse 2 here in the Passion Translation is quite beautiful. It says, speak tenderly to the heart, from the heart, sorry, speak tenderly from the heart to revive those who, um, those in Jerusalem. To revive those. To cause them to breathe again. To cause them to live again. To revive those. We are called as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, to be revivalists. That we are reviving people, we're helping people through the struggles that life throws at us. And particularly when people live without God and they really haven't received that comfort. They've looked at other places in the world to have that comfort. Relationships, sex, money, whatever it is. They look for comfort, but Jesus is the only one who can give true comfort. Amen? And then we see that the comfort is based, was last week, the comfort is really based, our main comfort is... Uh, according to the, the, the nature and the character of God. It is based on who God is. And you read Isaiah 40, and you can see what God is. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, omniscient. He is the, the shepherd. He all these beautiful things that we can wrap around our lives around. And because of that, it gives comfort and it gives strength into our lives. I love the, that, that verse at the end of Isaiah 40 and verse uh, 28 to 30. I love that. It's those that wait upon the Lord, that they shall renew their strength, right? They will walk and not faint. They will run, not be good, and then they will rise up like wings of eagles. But the thing is, though, what I love about this, and I talked about last week, but I, so it's so powerful. You need to understand this, is that the word wait is not just waiting passively in a chair somewhere. Wait actually in the Hebrew means like in a twisting way, you bind yourself around Jesus, so it's like us as ivy around Christ. He is the rock. He is the strong one. He is the immovable one. And we build our lives around Him. We're like tree huggers, you know, in the sense that we, we, we hold on to Him because He is our strength. Those who wait, those who build their lives around Christ, they will be like this. They'll be strong and they mount up and they grow and they become very strong because Christ is the center of their lives. Isn't it amazing? It says, and they will renew their strength. The renew in the Hebrew is beautiful. It actually means exchange. So, to, so those who wait upon the Lord, who twist around, around Christ, around the rock, they will exchange their weakness for his strength. Because he's the strong one. You know, and you go with him, you know. You go everywhere you go, you go with him. You know, because he is the strong one. And in our weakness, he is strong. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, this is really comforting in our lives and strength giving. But here the context, right here, of Isaiah. is really the context here of comfort, the strength that we have received, biblically here, is the victory over and the eradication of sin. That is the context here that brings comfort to people. Speak comfort, verse 2, 
to Jerusalem. Cry out to her. Her warfare is ended, one. Her iniquity is pardoned, two. And for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isn't that wonderful? The warfare, his hand. All this stuff alludes to Jesus Christ. All this stuff is a prophetic picture of what Christ would do. The victory over sin. The victory over death and over, over sin and over all the bad stuff. Isn't that great? That he has won the victory. One is warfare. That her warfare has ended. Jesus has won the victory. The battle has been won. Amen? Now what I love about Christianity is that we actually start our race at the finish line. There's no other religion that has this. We start at the finish line. We start at it is finished. We start at the finished line and Jesus has done it for us. He's given us a finished work. It's powerful. And then we kind of look back with that strength, what he has done for us. And then we walk forward from the finished line into the world and into our lives. It's powerful because our victory is in Jesus. Our strength is in Jesus. And because of that, we have peace. We have peace that passes all understanding. It's amazing when we can rest in what He has done for us. Amen? This brings comfort to your lives. And this is the message that we have for the world. This is the gospel that sin no longer has to devastate your life. Sin no longer has to rule your life because you can be free because Christ won the victory. Amen? Tell your neighbor Christ won the victory. Tell him also he's alive in you, which means the victory is alive in you, which means that you can be victorious. You don't have to be a slave anymore to sin and death because Christ has won the victory and we've been raised up with him and we'll read it in a minute. we raised up in him. Give us new life. Amen? Okay, I want you to show you up this morning. This is a really important message today. It's really the, the basic of the gospel and I want you to be excited about the, 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 the foundation of the gospel in your life and we're going to celebrate at the, at the end with worship. We're going to celebrate at the end with communion. It is just going to be amazing because you'll be enthralled of how awesome God is, how awesome His name is, and how awesomely He's done stuff for you. Number two, number two, that her iniquity has been pardoned, that her sin has been forgiven. Very interesting, iniquity in the Hebrew is Avon, right? Everybody say Avon. Now, if you do in English, it's Avon. Right, Avon River. Actually, what it means is perversity. Avon or Avon means perversity. What it means like is to make crooked or amiss or to pervert. Interesting, isn't it? So the Avon River, remember it's a crooked river. It goes like this. That's why it's called the Avon. It's not perverse, but it's like a crooked river, you know, the Avon. It's come from the word Ava um, in, uh, in Hebrew, which means crooked and whatever. So the thing is, though, we see that, 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 that often we, we, we talk about if something is sinful, sin is like missing the mark. It's crooked. It just misses the mark. Did you know that every sin, sin is relational? Look at every sin, even the Ten Commandments, all these things. Do you know that every sin is relational? If we would live perfect life, there wouldn't be sin. That's why Jesus could live a sinful life, a sinless life. 
He could live a sinless life because he always hit the mark. Sin is missing the mark. It's an abuse of intentionality. Sometimes I, I, I give it as an example. This is not relational, but it kind of helps. Is I've done it twice in my life. Is in my diesel car, my van, I put in, I was pumping the thing. I said, you know, pumping it was like half full, you know. I said, I said something I can't say here, you know. And the thing is though, and it says, I put normal petrol in my diesel van, you know. That's sin. Because it was meant to have diesel in it. That's righteousness. Sin is you're putting the wrong thing in. You use it wrongly. You use it crookedly. That's as simple as it is. And so God is calling us, you know, to a straight life, to a non-crooked life, to a non-perverse life. And I think it's powerful. Anyway, Jesus says here, your sin has been forgiven and it's been pardoned. The perversity has been fixed. The crooked way has been made straight and he has made you perfect forever. Can I please have an amen in the house? He has made us perfect forever. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us once for all. Now then we go to number three. And this is a bit more interesting. That she has received double for all of her sins. Now that's awkward. That looks really, really bad, you know? It looks like punishment, but it's actually the opposite. Let me explain. You have to understand a principle, a concept that was alive and well in the Jewish culture in Isaiah's day. It was something called receiving the double. Everybody say, receiving the double. Receiving the double. See, what happened was a person in debt, they could receive an act of mercy called receiving the double. It was an answer to bankruptcy. Let's say that I was hopelessly in debt and my creditors come to me and say, Gideon, you're in debt. I'm going to take your, your business away from you. So my father's business, my business, I've done this for generations and I'm going to lose it because I have this debt. And I'm going to lose, in those days, I'm going to lose my wife and children to slavery and whatever. I'm going to lose myself probably to slavery or some kind of servanthood. I can't do it. But I plead to my creditors, please give me some more time. But the creditors say, you got no money. I said, no, but I'm going to try to get the double. I'm going to try if I can receive the double. And he says, okay, I'll give you one month. One month. So here I go and I get a piece of paper and I put all my debts on this piece of paper, right? Like this, list my debt, all the stuff that I owe. And then I put it to the edge of my property, like your mailbox or some kind of a thing, at, 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 a, at some kind of a gate, or whatever you had in those days. Us would be like a letterbox. And you nail it to the letterbox so everybody knows there's something that I have a debt and how much I owe. And the reason why I put it there is that someone kind, someone rich, someone who has pity on me may see my debt and take pity on me and give me the double. This is what Isaiah is Uh, referring to because it was well known in those days amen so maybe um maybe i have john john reason john reason comes by with his beautiful mercedes and his beautiful car and he goes there past my house and he sees this letter hanging off my wall i said hey something is on with gideon something wrong here so he comes to me and says oh gideon you've been not a very good boy you are an insult to christianity you call yourself a pastor And look how much you are in debt. I am going to pay for this. I'm going to give you the double. What he would do, he would double the piece of paper like this. He would fold it and double the piece of paper and stick it back on the wall. He would sign it with John Reason, I will pay. 
That's what happened, right? So here in the afternoon, the kids come home from, from school, and they see this thing is being doubled. They run into the house. Mommy, Daddy, somebody has doubled our debt. Somebody has paid for us. And then Joan would go out. So I would go out to see Joan. and said, Joan, you're the man. Thank you so much for paying for me. And he, will, he assigned this with his signature. He will take all my debt and he would set me free of this. This is what Jesus did for you and I. That is what Isaiah is referring to. He gave us the double. He saw our bankruptcy. He saw our debt. And he took it all. He took it all. He took my piece of paper and he took care of it. And he nailed it to a cross. He signed it with his own name, Jesus Christ, and a little symbol of the cross, you know. Jesus Christ, I'll do this. We are completely debt-free. My piece of paper with all my debt, with all my sins, past, future, past, current, future, all been put on the cross of Christ, the cross of Calvary. Isn't that beautiful? So that's what it means to receiving the double. Now, the amazing thing is it says in Scripture there that the hand of the Lord will do this. We'll give this to you. Isn't it beautiful? That the hand of the Lord has given us the double. He's given us this incredible gift of grace to whoever would like to receive this. Maybe you're sitting here today. You said, I've never received this gift of grace. I know Jesus came at Christmas and sends, you know, a baby and this and that and uh, angels singing and things. But I actually don't know what he came to do. Well, he came to pay your debt. So you can be holy, you can be righteous, you can be free forever, you can go to heaven, you can be his bride, you can be a son and a daughter of God. It is pretty blimmin' good. So if you haven't received him today, I suggest you think about it and at the end you can make a response to that. Powerful, isn't it? Isn't it powerful? Did you know that? So the, anyway, so, so the thing is though, this is, really, this is really comforting, isn't it? This is one of the most comforting things. That's why it says comfort your people. Comfort, comfort, comfort. We're going to go to Israel uh, next week. Uh, Vicky is going this week. Dave, uh, this week or next week? Next week. And uh, Catherine and I are going next Sunday night. And uh, about 120 are going to Israel uh, from Christchurch and from Brazil. And, to, and one of the things that we'll do is we will speak again. Comfort. Last week I showed you some uh, photo, uh, videos of the D- Jerusalem march that we do every year when thousands upon thousands uh, march from all nations, mainly Christians, to show their love and their comfort uh, to the people of Israel, to the Jews who've had so much persecution, that we stand with them and say, you are, you are God's favorite. Your favorite son is our Lord and Savior. We come from you. We love you. We love you. God loves you. God has not forgotten about you. One day all Israel will be saved. And we speak love and we speak love. And they know it and they're waiting for us, you know, on the street. They're waiting for us to be blessed, to be strengthened, to be comforted. And that's what Isaiah is beautiful alluding to, not to that event, but you know what I mean? That's what they use at the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, next, uh, in two weeks' time. So that's going to be really, really powerful. Now, there's one more thing because, um, 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 no, I want to say something else. It basically, this has also been the most powerful thing in my life if you look in the area of comfort. To understand what Christ has done for you, to really understand what he has done in your life to give you the double and to give you forgiveness and make you right standing and to forgive your sin uh, once for all and all this kind of stuff. It is so powerful. It is so comforting. It's so strengthening, isn't it? For all of us, it's my testimony. This has really been my strength. 
And because of that, because me wrapping myself around Jesus Christ has helped me then to deal with the stuff in my life, which tore me down and which devastated my life and is devastating some of your life and the people around us, you know. And, and we can be holding on to him because this is really, really good news and this will really, really strengthen you. Now, we're going to go into another concept and this is now in the New Testament, right? And so now we're in a different culture and now this is Paul. And I, th I think we should stand together. And read this together in Colossians 2.11. Now this is a powerful uh, scripture. It's really the good news of the gospel. And I would like you to uh, say this loud and clear as a declaration of who Christ is and what you have become in him. There we go. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made us alive with Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them in, in it. Amen. Come on, you may be seated. He triumphed over it, in it. It's just so beautiful. So we go back into history again. Now Paul was not living in the sense in this time of Isaiah, which was more a Jewish country and receiving the double. He was living, of course, in the, in the Greece and the Roman uh, culture, uh, a Grecian culture, which was basically with a Roman government. And of course, some of the um, Grecian culture has infiltrated the, the money system here. And there's something else I want you to see. This is another concept, but also really, really powerful, which Paul is now alluding to in this scripture we have just read, having wiped our handwriting over. How is it beautiful? A wipe. It's a wipe. I want to say it's a wipeout. It's a wipeout. I know we're going to wipe out on Saturday, guys, with the boys, with the, with the, the cars. You know, it's going to be a wipeout too. But I'll tell you something, this is a much more important wipeout that we are celebrating here today. So in Paul's day, if you wanted to uh, borrow money, like say you want to borrow $5,000, you would go to the bank and on the clay, they would make a contract uh, with you. They would write down the things you get and the, the, the conditions and blah, 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 and everyone would then, um, would then sign it. And then they would uh, tear it uh, or break it in this clay, you know, break it. I don't have clay here, so I won't break it. Uh, so they would tear it in, in, in an odd shape. Right, in an odd shape. And so the one, the one piece would go to the lender, would be the bank, and the other piece uh, would go to you. Both you sign it, and then you, they, they do it for filing, and you use it. And what's happening in those days, I know everything was very public. They would actually nail this to the front door. Like I have received, you know, borrowed $5,000. I would nail this to my front door so that, to let everybody know that I am in debt, although people would not know the details of it. And when I have the money and I pay back, I would go to the bank, and I would find my piece of paper, I'll pay everything, the whole thing will be erased, and then uh, the matching contract like this, you know, would be erased, and then I would take both back to my door, and I would actually knock, stick it on my door, and then people would know, like, like this, you know, it's all good, that I have paid all my debt, everything is done. Now, what is interesting is what if you can't 
repay it in a similar way to receiving the double. And there's a friend or relatives, and he says, man, I saw this thing hanging on your door, this half, you know, this, this debt, on so long, and I'm embarrassed for you. Obviously, you can't pay back your debt, and I want to pay this for you. Now, look at this. Very interesting. So, um, what happens here is that this time, when it goes, this person will go to the bank, and they will say, I want to pay this, but this time it does not get erased. What has happens now, actually it goes now to the center square where there is a post in the middle of the town, because it's all little small communities, and they put it in the middle on the post, and they would nail it on the post, and everybody would know, I am out of debt, but everybody would also know, I didn't pay for it. If you paid for it, you take it to your own home. If you didn't pay for it, and of course, this was alluding to Jesus Christ. It was alluding to the cross of Christ, the post of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? This beautiful picture, what they use in those days, that Jesus paid our debt, the old contract. He nailed it to a tree. He wiped out the things that stood against us. He wiped out my sin. He wiped out all the debt that I owed. And he stuck it on the cross with him. And at the top, you see Gideon. And at the bottom, you see Jesus Christ. And in the middle, you see nothing. He has paid it all. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we've had such a cancellation of our debt. We had such a, a powerful forgiveness of sin. It's, it's so powerful. We've received it. In the Old Testament, we see this in Isaiah. We see Isaiah 40, that we have received the double. It is so beautiful. And in the New Testament with Paul, we see that we have received a wipeout. And both of them are just ingrained in the culture of the day. And so they would have understood much more than us these days uh, what was going on and how Jesus paid for all this. And today we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate this. The band can come up. We're going to celebrate this. Jesus prepared the way for us. Actually, what happened was John the Baptist, he was preparing the way of the Lord, literally the way for Jesus to come, right? He says, prepare the way of the Lord. And then he says in John 1.29, behold, when he saw Jesus coming down the road, behold, look, there is the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. He's going to go to a cross. He's going to take your piece of paper, your contract that stood against you. And all the debt that you have, all the sins that you had, he's going to wipe it. He's going to put it on the cross and he's going to take it to the grave. He's going to take it to hell itself. And then it's going to rise again, clean and pure. And that's why after Easter, 50 days after Easter, Pentecost came. Because now we are, we, are, we, are, we are free. Jesus paid for it. He paid the price to set us free. And so now the Holy Spirit can come in people. Before the cross, it never came into people. You never were born again. You couldn't be born again because you have sin. But after the cross, because Jesus paid for it, now the Holy Spirit can come in. And he can be a resident with you forever. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that powerful? I mean, this is the centrality of the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Total forgiveness will give you total comfort. That even when you fail, you will never be a failure. You will never be a failure. Even when you're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't disown himself. It's just powerful. The gospel is so powerful. And so this gospel we have in our hands and the world needs to know the comfort of God. This should, this should inspire us 
talk to our friends and family about the Lord. Amen? This should fuel our mission to see many, many, many hundreds and thousands saved. To show people the glory of God, the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. What he did is the glory of God. It's an act of grace. It's a gift. It's beautiful. It's powerful. I want to finish with the same scripture, Colossians. I want you all to stand. And I want to read it again. Now this time I want to read it from the Passion Translation. And I'll read it to you. I used read along. And you just thank God. I may stop somewhere. Maybe, maybe not. Because it is so powerful. And I want this to be a declaration and a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Look at this. Colossians 2, 11 to 15. Through our union with Him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the Anointed One, has accomplished for us. Wait, 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 wait. What does it say there? All of the guilt and power. Now the thing is though, the most wonderful and comforting thing that you and I and anybody in the world will ever know is a release of guilt. You still remember before you became a Christian, there was this guilt. And I'll tell you something now, if you're a Christian, you should not live under guilt. He took our guilt. He became guilty for you. He became sin for you that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's a powerful thing. Guilt is so disabling, so terrible. But comfort is so beautiful. It is so powerful. Amen. Let's keep going. For we've been buried with Him into His death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with Him when we believed in God's resurrection power. The power that raised Him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp. But now, everybody say it, but now. But now, something has changed. But now, we've been resurrected out what of the realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all. Anybody wants to be more convinced about it? Man, he, he used such strong language, Paul, isn't he? He deleted it all and it cannot be retrieved. Like Tante Cori, my auntie, auntie Cori Tambun was a good friend of my grandfather. And she would always used to say, he has put all our sins, all the sin of the world into the deepest sea. And he put a sign, no fishing allowed. No fishing around. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all the spiritual authority. Come on, get excited. And the power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in the procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were His. Come on. We've been set free. Our chains are gone. We are set free.